Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode, I sit down with a member of the water polo community to talk about what helped them become successful in the world of water polo. This week, my guest is Jim Brum, the longtime coach at Foothill High School in Santa Ana, California. If you enjoy the episode, please do me a favor, share it with your friends, leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Thank you and enjoy the episode. I'm here at Foothill High School uh, with longtime coach Jim Brum, who coached the boys and the girls here at Foothill High School. Thanks for being on the program, Jim. Oh, well, no, it's, to be honest, it's an honor. You know, hopefully I could bring some good thoughts to the, to the program. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this uh, conversation. So I guess first off, how did you get started in coaching water polo? Well, I... I started coaching water polo at when I was at Long Beach State. I, I was coaching swimming at the time, and I kind of wanted to get interested in the water polo aspect of it and knew I was going to be probably something to help with a job, trying to become a swim coach and a water polo coach. And it, it, actually, the story where I came, I went to Ken Lindgren. You know, he knew who I was, and like I said, I was assistant swim coach at the time. And I kind of walked in, and I said, hey, do you, you know, you need some help? And uh he he said, sure, we could always use help, but I can't pay you. So it was a you know, volunteer assistant position. And and I just remember that. And he goes, and here, here's a whistle and go, uh, you know, blow fouls during the scrimmage. <laughs> so that was my very first day out there. I had guys like Kimball and these guys, you know, you know, bitching at my referee. Yeah, my yeah. Very, very first day. So I coached there a couple of years and then uh, I moved on to here. So I've had two water polo jobs here and uh, and at Long Beach State as assistant coach, low man on the totem pole. And, and what years. year What year did you get here to Foothill? Do you... uh, the fall of 87 was my first year. Fall of 87. And so at that point, you had, what, a year or two under your belt for long, uh, from Long Beach? I think I was, you know, I forget, to be honest with you, I... I think I was four years at Long Beach. Okay. I think I was at Long Beach for six years, and I think it was overlapping with swimming. I know my last two years I didn't do swimming, so I had a couple years where I did both. A couple years where I was just doing swimming. So I was at Long Beach for a long time. And so what did you learn from Coach Lindgren that – has stuck with you. I mean, was there something specific? Because I mean, I mean, he's got a pool named after him. He's a legendary coach. No, he's he's great. I, I you know, I think a lot of it was. Um, well, I just learned the game. I used to take notes. I mean, I and for both or, or John or Banchik for swimming and both Ken, I just took a log of everything I ever did, every workout, and I, I still do. I got I got my workouts in these you know drawers here and wow. cabinets, and I, I write them all down and and keep track, and that's what I did. And so I just kind of learned and watched. Uh, you know, I had all the job, odd jobs. I coached the actually we had a B team back then, so I coached the Long Beach State B team. Ken had a, such a, he, I, I don't know, he just had a way with people. Both of those guys, Urbanchek and Ken, were just awesome people. They just had a way of kind of pushing people in a kind of a silent manner. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of stuck with me. You know, yeah. they weren't both yellers. They were both able to just kind of motivate. And, and they had great personalities. And, great, and they were, Ken was actually real funny. So yeah. He had a way of kind of teasing everybody constantly. And, I mean, the players that were coming through Long Beach at that time – no, they I were mean, great. Some of the best ever. 
yeah, of American we, water polo, right? Yeah, the, the time we were there, we got second in the NCAA. Well, that, I didn't coach on that team. That was, I was the following year. They got they lost to Stanford in the final, but the one year we got third. So that year was kind of cool. Like, yeah. you know, I remember going up to play Cal. They were number one. We were number two. And, you know, that, that was quite a game up there. They beat us up there. And we got third at that NCAA. Yeah. So, yeah, we had great players, you know, Bertzel and Maximoff and Nicole and – you know, Guy Baker, he was on the team, right? Wow. You know, on that team, that one, those teams. But there was, a, you know, just a lot of great players. On yeah. That. Wow. And so, what was it like coaching Foothill High School in the early, in those early years? You, you as a young coach, I mean, yeah. what, 25, 26 at that time? I was a little older. Okay. So. Uh, but- in your twenties, yeah, I was in my twenties, and so which is which is pretty common for coaches to get yeah. started. They start figuring out what they want to do. What was it like being a young water polo coach during that time? You know, in this area and, and just in Southern California, high school water polo in general. It was tough. We had a good team, so that that made it a little easier. I mean, we really had a, we had a really good team coming in, and they were great kids. And uh, you know, I I brought a lot. I think coming from the colleges a little bit. And I, you know, I thought I added something to them. I just remember that very first summer, uh, we qualified for the JOs. And back then, only the top two teams in our uh, zone made it. And it was actually that JOs was San Luis Obispo, and that that, that was the best JOs I've ever yeah. been to. It was awesome. They should and, do another JOs in San Luis. Obispo. Yeah, it was so nice. It was well, it was a small tournament. It was only like sixteen yeah. teams. Yeah. And uh, we had great facilities and. And actually being young, it was, I had a lot more energy and I just, I just remember we went up to that. It was a total learning experience. Like, you know, we played our games, but we'd go watch, we were in the 15 under back then. So we'd go play 15s and then we'd go watch all the 17 under games. We just kind of made it like a learning situation. I think we got like fifth or sixth, but it was just the Foothill team. We just happened to have a young team so we could all play 15s. You know, it was kind of like your team a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. So you could play all your kids on a young level. So we kind of did that. Then we kind of graduated up. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good. And I mean, literally, that was my first term was J.O. Qualls. Wow. And, you know, we, we beat Newport. Well, that was a big deal. And we lost to, uh, it was Trojan Club, but it was pretty much Sunny Hills. Oh, okay. You know, that, um, it was kind of, a, you know, the Santiago brothers. And it was a really good team. Yeah. But they beat us. And then... Uh, and literally, the first game we played was against CDM, and they, you know, with Odin and oh wow, and uh, you know, with Johnny Vargas on the other side, and and it was a big battle. We actually had the band on the pool deck. I remember oh, wow. it was cool. It was really neat in the old yeah. pool. Yeah, and and that at that time the pool was a tank. Oh, it was, yeah, and it was like that for a really long time. A long time. You guys were able to maximize talent and pool space even with the i think it was like a six lane it was it, it was 10 lanes but yeah i had maybe five of them were shallow so oh, okay. we had like maybe five shallow oh yeah five shallow five deep and uh yeah we we had to but a lot of teams back then had pools like that too it wasn't it wasn't uh as as it is now where yeah. everybody had really really you know the facilities are getting better now yeah so so you you're you're coaching at Foothill. You have yeah. so, you have a young team. When did you really start to get the ball rolling in terms of I have control of this team and we're going to do something really special? You know, we're going to be one of the top teams or one of the top programs. Was there ever a moment when early on, or I walked into a great situation? You know, Tom DeLong was there, Dave Simcox was there, so I walked into a great deal. You know, so I didn't come in like having to rebuild. The, the program was already solid, right? Okay. So. 
I, I I've always have had that feeling. I, w- I want to uh, keep this thing going, and when you know I do retire, I hope it's in good shape. Whoever gets it after me, yeah. yeah um, but I, yeah, we went through the first couple of years. We were you know we were good. We we're like a quarterfinalist in in the top division. And uh, we couldn't quite get over the hump. I think we won those years. We lost an OT in the the quarters, probably to Long Beach. They were a nemesis of us for – it was kind of weird because I kind of came from Long Beach. Yeah. It was always Long Beach Wilson and – that you know, it was us against Wilson. We you know, I think they knocked us out the first year. The next year we had a really good team. I think they knocked us out again in the quarters. And then we hit – it kind of what happens, it seems like you'll have like a year where you only have like, we have like four kids, a, a four person class. And then we hit kind of a lull a little bit. So it was kind of in the early nineties when we started going on a big upswing. Yeah. And then it was, it, we could just kind of see it coming. Like we always had Villa Park as a big rival. Yeah. They, they won three like league championships in a row there. And then we started an upswing. So that would have been around 93. I think we finally won league in 93, the 94, I think we went to semis and the 90, 95, we won, we won CIF. Yeah. And again, so we played Villa Park in the final. Yeah. And I was actually going to bring that up because I remember as a player, I graduated in 95. Uh-huh. So I, I remember as a player, the league battle was the century league. Yeah. Foothill Villa Park. I mean, everybody talked about that game. It was in the paper and everything else. That was like five or six years of that rivalry with Villa Park, right? In the Century League? Oh, it was every year. It uh, I, And it still is. Uh, if who, It comes down to that game, you know, whoever's going to win league. I mean, I we went out of the league for a little bit, and then it was El Toro and you guys. Yeah. You know, that year, I mean, we all three tied that one year. Yep. It, you know, so when we went to the Seaview League, then it was kind of us, you, and El Toro were battling it out. But before all the years we've been – there's like Foothill versus Villa Park. Whoever's going to win this game is going to win league. And it's it's still like that. And it's and then what's happened is, you know, they'll go on a nice streak and have a really good team for a nice little string of years. Yeah. And, and then we'll, we do. And then we kind of go back and forth. But back then it was those games were, I think they were legendary. I mean, there was one game we played at Villa Park and the game – was so intense that everybody got all their, you know, I was on the, like the side of the deck. I was off the, off the bench. All my players were off the bench and I turned around and looked and there was all these kids, you know, standing on our team bench looking over (laughs) us. And it it was, it was completely different. just a whole different mindset. Those games, it didn't matter going in. Those games were just battles. Yeah. Was, were some of those years, and I I mean, these are players that I remember, but you know, Ryan Brown, Uh Brian Brown, um, Dave, the Hay brothers, brothers, I mean, I, I remember those were the years where that battle was the the strongest, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's why we never beat you guys because those those great players were always. Yeah, we had great players. That, yeah, that whole, like I said, that was that starting of that building that for like in the nineties we were tough in the nineties, yeah. but then there was Long Beach over there. Yeah, so yeah. I, I want to and and so I want to get to that. Um, yeah. Ninety five is your first CIF championship. Yeah. Okay, and you beat Villa Park, which must have been an amazing game. Ten nine. Yeah, in overtime, I believe. No, it was in regular time. Regular time. Yeah. So beating a league rival in the final game must have been insane. And we had to play them three times during the year, and that we played them in the South Coast, and it was a pretty close game. 
We had a phenomenal game in the league game. And we always played the last week, too. So it was like the last game of the season. And we actually won that game pretty easily. But we had a, we played great. It's like one of those games, everything kind of fell yeah. into place. And then in the final, you know, I think we were a little, a little tight. And they had nothing to lose. They actually had a lead on us. And I know I remember in that game, you know, uh, Brian Brown had five goals in the third quarter. Jeez. And we opened up a lead. And then they actually... I think we had like a one goal lead. They they had a timeout where they ran. Uh, I think it was a kid named Cornu went underwater and he came up and he was wide open. Like we we didn't really pick him up and uh, he just he missed the shot. Wow. And it actually you know you look at it. I mean it was it was a great play they ran and that could have tied it. Uh, we had Nick in the goal. Yeah right. We back then we, I actually on that team I had three goalies. And then one got injured, a kid named Paul Mall got hurt. So then we were down to Ryan Brown, who played at UOP, and then mm-hmm. you know Nick Ellis, who played at Stanford. And Ryan was a senior, and Nick was a sophomore. So we just we we kind of split time. Yeah. So Ryan would start, and then Nick would play the second half. And Nick was, I think Nick was kind of on the shot, but I mean, still, I mean, yeah, it was a it was a great finish. And that was and, obviously Belmont. Yeah. Back in the day, we've had a you know a couple conversations with the other coaches, Stahl and Carlson, yeah. about what a special place uh, Belmont was. Oh yeah. In the like eighties and nineties, and well, yeah, you know yeah. even early two thousands, seven the seventies, they had Olympic trials there. In yeah. I, I went to go watch a couple NC two A tournaments there um, when I was younger. So ninety five, you win, yeah. and then this was something I've always wanted to ask you, just okay. because it's just something that's been on in, on my mind because I ran into the same buzzsaw, which was Long Beach Wilson. Yeah late 90s and then early 2000s what did you do to prepare because it's not like you were out of the mix i mean no. you were in the final in 96, we 96 97. 97 so you were right there and i mean you're taking a deep breath kind of like oh <laughs> you know what what do you remember about those losses like <sighs> is there anything specific that you did or that you said to the kids that or that you even still talk about when you see, I'm sure players come back, you know, all the time for for alumni games and things. Is there anything in particular you remember about those games? Yeah, I remember those games. <laughs> As a coach, you always remember those games. 96 was a, I think we went into it pretty evenly matched. And I just remember we got down early and we just couldn't get back. Like we probably went down like uh, maybe two goals in our first quarter and right away, and I think we lost by two. I mean, we yeah. we battled, we battled, we battled, and we just couldn't get back. The one, the game after that, wow, that was a tough one. That may have been one of the toughest losses I ever had, to be honest. Ninety seven. Uh, we, our kids played amazing, just played amazing, and uh, I just remember we led like almost the entire game. I just remember getting Matt McPherson put the screw shot away on a counterattack. That was like amazing shot. I just remember we were rolling. And then at the, at the end of the game, the foul shot was back at seven meters back then. And I just remembered uh, they they had a foul and it just seemed to take forever. And Nick, and our, Nick was our goalie. Mm-hmm. He thought the kid you know, it took too long for the shot and he didn't even go for the ball and he scored it. And that was like the tying goal. Wow. And then we, went, then we went to overtime and we lost an OT. And what team was that? That was in 97. Uh, do you, the opponent was? Long Beach Wilson. Long Beach. So it was 96. Yeah. And that was like Tony, you know, what I'm trying, I think that was Tony's freshman year. Yeah. So yeah. I, that, that would be like Albert Garcia. Yeah, all those guys. Scotty yeah. Miller. 
Mm-hmm. Pat Cochran maybe was the guy that hit that shot. Uh, I think I think a lot of people. Jason, Jason was in the goal. Yeah, that was an incredible team. People don't realize how dominant of those those Long Beach Wilson oh, teams were. Those teams were amazing. And but you kept in the mix throughout that whole that whole sort of thing. Um, and then you guys did a, like this resurgence in the 2000s. Yeah, we. But I don't know what's the year '97 and '98. We lost to Harvard in the semis, and that was true because I always kind of thought about the old way that CIF does, where they that you know you can't be op, you had to be opposite of teams in your league. Well, it was like an automatic. Then we knew who we were going to play. Like we knew we were going to be on Harvard Westlake side, and we knew. So we played Harvard Westlake every one of those years too, and it seemed like we were always having to go up there in their old pool, and we kind of had it wired. You know what we were going to do there. We had kind of a routine when we went up to that pool. It worked, and then they finally beat us at the semis. But they had beaten us earlier going. We just uh, you know before we started our run. Yeah. So they kind of ended our run in '98. And I, you know, I'm trying to think what happened. I know we got back to the final, and we beat Long Beach. We beat him in the semis at La Salle. And that was with Ian Elliott. He okay. had an incredible uh, game in the goal for us. And then we, we made it to the final. But, uh, yeah, those were amazing. And you don't know how much videotape I watched of Tony Alzevedo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I had, I had a kid, um, Pat Logan, who was a tall, really long, lanky kid who I think gave Tony some fits because he was – he was the type of kid that could match up with him a little bit because he was so long. Yeah. And he made, I mean, Tony still got his goals. Yeah, of course. But he made it a little harder for him, I think. And that that helped us in those games against him. And we, we still had a great team, you know, like Robbie Arroyo and, like I said, Nick in the, in the cage and, you know, Jeff Fluger, you know, I think Brian, I think he graduated in 96. But then the, the other thing about our team back then and so I just remember like being at Belmont, like in the locker room with the kids. And I, we, we knew we were going to lose some kids, but all these other kids, like it was a kid named Mac McPherson, Jason Korngold, these guys who were more like coming off the bench for us, yeah. you know, they were like, you know, like coach, don't worry, we'll be back. There was just this attitude that they knew they were going to come back. So I think that had a lot to do with it. How do you build that? What, uh, what is it that you did that, made that team because I mean the truth is when I was in high school and even afterwards when I started coaching Foothill had that and has that sort of attitude of you know we're Foothill we we know we can be in the in the big game every single year basically and that it seems like it gets passed down it you know we do talk about it you know yeah. we come in with a plan and you know this is you know this is expectations that you're on and it just seems like they I think the kids kind of pass it on themselves yeah it is hard. I've seen in the last, well, even the last couple of years, our kids have had that. They still have that attitude. Definitely. Know? Is there something you don't like about water polo today? Is there something that bothers you because you have so, these years to look back on? Um, what bugs you today or doesn't? Maybe nothing bothers you. Back in those days, you know, we trained hard. And I, and I think there was this intensity because kids did get some breaks. And, I, you know, I do think in... Now I think these kids are going a lot. They're playing a lot, and they're playing so many more games than we used to that I, that I do think maybe some of the game intensity 
is lost. Like the kids are on game 100, you know, and they played so many games. So and I'm, I'm always afraid that the game just turns into just another game. Mm -hmm. And compared to, you know, if you played, I mean, we played a lot of games. We played a lot of games in the summer. Like we try to get 30 games in during the summer. Yeah. You know, but during, you know, like say during swim season, like our, we, we weren't really playing any water polo. And, uh, it, and I think they gave those kids a little bit of a break. Now, definitely we went to a time where they were, you know, they, they were playing now, but we were still kind of a, used to be more of a time to where they had a little bit of a break, you know, yeah. during the winter. Like we play in the winter, you know, but, you know, February, you know, I, I kind of looked like they could play until March, you know, personally, if I could change or they play till March and then maybe they get April, April through CIF off yeah. and then get right back at it. If I get, but I know back in June, basically yeah. have the whole swim back season. In May, yeah. you know. Well, what's, what's interesting about that? Because I mean, obviously you have a swim background yeah. and so what's interesting about the names that you were mentioning, you know, from the teams, from your teams in the nineties is that all those kids that I remember were swimmers. Yeah. Um, even the guys that you were mentioning from Villa Park, mm -hmm. they were all swimming at Nova or SoCal Aquatics or wherever it might be. And I think you made a really good point before we started the interview um, about that 2008 Olympic team having a really strong base of swimming uh, before. And I'm wondering if you feel we need to get back to that with your timeline that you're saying, is that what you're kind of trying to say? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying they have to do it at the national team level because yeah. I think they're going to do it anyway. I think they swim quite a bit actually, but I think, um, I just, to me, if I'm looking at a kid like right now, they're, you know, they're going to, let's say a lot of my guys, you know, and the girls they're you know, they have swim practice till four o'clock and I don't, I, you know, I, I'm serious about it and I don't, you know, I don't give them any deals. It's not like, okay, well, you got water polo tonight. I'll let you out at three. You know, mm -hmm. I, you're here till four and they go home, eat dinner and then they go to water polo practice. And I know it's only a couple of nights a week, you know, and then, then they have to get homework done, Yeah, you know, and then, uh, then on the weekends, you know, we don't have a lot of weekend stuff, but they have a tournament and the boys might be better. If I look at the girls, like we just finished regionals and they have cow cup like the next weekend. I've always yeah. said the girls have it the worst. Yeah, girls have it the worst. Like because they don't stop. Yeah. So there have been some, I mean, understatement, amazing players that came through Foothill High School, um, a ton of tradition, uh, Olympians and... Olympians in swimming too? Not since I've been here, but before me. Okay. And I think that's, I, you know, I think when you sit there and you talk about like a tradition of Foothill, we have on the wall, we have all these Olympians yeah. and they still come by. Like, yeah, we Christmas Eve, we have alumni game and, you know, we'll get 75 guys out here, wow. you know, and, and that's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, and, so what did you, what do you see or what did you see in these great players that was different from, you know, different from the rest first, but also that they had in common, if there was anything that they, guys and girls. Well, I think um, I love for the game. 
I mean, that's one thing in common. Those guys, all of them, love to play water polo. I mean, Joe Molina, you've coached Joe. Yeah. Joe, I could, Joe could take a water polo ball, keep himself, you know, shoot for an hour just by himself. Yeah. And I and we have, you know, Paul Reynolds. That that we had a whole group in that that group, like Frank Reynolds and the Goldstein brothers. Those guys, you know, they would hop the fence. They were in this pool all the time. They were your uh, equivalent to a gym rat. They were a, a pool rat. I think yeah. those guys still get together and f- get away into the pool. And I'll probably get in trouble or whatever, <laughs> but I mean, they, they find a way to get in that pool yeah. and they'll just shoot and whatever. And, you know, and, but I think a love of the game, all those guys, you know, Crump Holtz and all the girls, you, you know, they just love the game. And the next thing is they all worked hard and some of them may work you know, they all worked hard. Uh, you know, they all, you know, you go to practice and there was the guys that were leading the, the swim sets and everything. Those guys, just all of them. And, and but they all had their own individual things. Like, you know, Crumpulse was the most intense player I've ever seen. That guy was so intense. And then, uh, you know, they all, they, they might have something different, but they all worked hard. And I think, and I think one of the other things, though, for these guys is they to go on to the next level, uh, they have to realize that they're freshmen again and they're starting all over again. And they have to hopefully have that love of the game that's going to – they have to adjust to a new coach and a new program yeah. just like they were as a freshman coming into Foothill or any other school. They have to have that that drive. Yeah. You know, freshmen come in with a drive. I always see them come in with a drive. It may not last the whole time. And that's the hardest thing as thing as a coach is to realize that they might be coming off a club program that work and they're working out three or four times a week. And all of a sudden now they're playing high school. Like you said, they're playing year round now and they're playing six days a week. And, um, and in college is going to be the same thing that they still maintain that love of the game and still know that they just have to, it's like starting all over again. And yeah. those kids are able to do that. You know, they're talented and they work hard. That's the two things. You, you know, sometimes you get talented players, but they don't necessarily work. Sometimes you get kids that work super hard. But I've had kids, I've had kids that work super hard. And, you know, maybe, you know, I was, because that's always one of the things. A kid will come up and say, hey, well, I'm thinking about going to this college. And sometimes I thought, well, I'm not so sure that's for you. But then I've had a couple kids that, you know, they went to college, but they had such a good work ethic that they ended up uh, doing really well. Yeah. And like I said, I every coach loves that kid that just comes there and gives it their best every single day. And what I don't care what level you're at. It may take you a while to see the, these guys come through. And I think you'll see that in almost every college team or, you know, like you're going, well, that guy wasn't necessarily a high school American, but wow, he's in the lineup and he's really doing well. And I'm, I'm sure that's the type of kid that works really, really hard. No, absolutely. I mean, and you do see that sort of common thread of the work is, just part of their personality yeah. almost they, they it, it's like expected that they have to give their best all the time did you ever find it intimidating to coach a player of a caliber like JW Crumples that you you knew he was going to be an Olympian he was already being looked at by the national team he was already a dominant player he had his own personality um very physical very intense yeah. Was that, was it, 
was it ever challenging for you to, to do that? Did they, did they, did they question you? Did they, how did, how do you deal with that? Uh, it was challenging. I, when J-Dub was there, I brought in a, uh, a guy named Peja, who was the, the, he was the player, NCAA player of the year at USC. And I brought him in just kind of with that in mind that, you know, here's a, here's a, a setter and, you know, he could come in and, you know, well, I've always have wanted a, a center coach. I mean, I've always looked like, yeah. it's like, okay, I, you know, I want a center coach and I want a goalkeeper coach, you know, and if I the hardest okay. things to find. <laughs> yeah. And so and I actually had that on that team. I had Peja and Boja and I've got those guys because I was coaching uh, the premier league. They had premier league two. I remember. And Peja and Boja played for me on the premier league two team. Wow. And so I got those guys to come in and coach that year. And it, and it, it worked out perfect because we had, he, I had all of a sudden I had this center coach for J dub yeah. and I had Travis Tahowski was our goalie. And I, that Peja got to work with him and I, you know, kind of was the overseeing head coach at that time. Yeah. And that worked out really well, but it was, I think, yeah, you have a player like that, you know, you have to be on the top of your game, you know? And so in some ways it makes you a better coach too. Yeah. And, uh, any specific run-ins or anything that you could remember that at the time it was probably tough, but maybe brought you guys closer together later on. No, I mean, it wasn't anything between us clashing or anything. I mean, we got along. I, I, I think by that time, you know, my, I, I kind of, been around for a while. Yeah. So I think my reputation was pretty good. Uh, we just had some things that Jay, you know, Jay Dub got in a, we, we had a game where, he, you know, another player got hurt. Yeah. And, you know, there was some of that kind of stuff. Well, I had that with Caleb Hamilton in 2006. Yeah. I mean, 2005, 2006. And the reason I bring it up is because it's something that, you know, I went through. Yeah. And, and you know, you kind of wonder what you did as a coach to like, because those players come around, they don't come around very often, but yeah. you, the longer you're in this, the, the more, you know, that it's few and far between. And when you get those players, you, I mean, you want to maximize that because yeah. it could be another 10 years before you find another player like, yeah. or you get another player like that. So in 2000 and 15. Okay. There was an epic, like four overtime. Oh yeah. Dana. Championship game in Dana Hills. Yeah. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, and correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't feel like Foothill had that out of this world talent on that team, but you guys played really, really well as a unit. Is, is that accurate or did you? Yes. Okay. I, well, they were talented. I mean, on that team right now, you know, Bobby Lee's playing at Navy and Mikey Miller's playing at uh, Air Force. So, I mean, right there tells you something right there. Yeah. Two kids on, two academy kids. Uh, you know, Chaz Hornecker was an incredible athlete. But that group was so much fun to coach. Like, that was a, they were a tight knit group. And their their personalities were all over the place, and and I think some in a you know I, they're all in a positive way because they all kind of mix and match. Like yeah. some of them were goofy, and some of them were, 
that you, you know, uh, you know, who we had little uh, Bobby Gorin is our center, and Joe was our our second center. Yeah. It must uh, have been a he was young sophomore but, uh, at the time. Yeah. And so, how do you? Is there anything that you can just speak to in terms of like maximizing that talent at at that time? Was there anything that you did differently that helped maximize that, or well, was those, it just the right place, right time? It was a little bit of that. Those kids work really hard, and we have fun. I mean, I, we we tried to add little things in there, like you know, we melon days and little. We did little things, and and they, they sometimes you do those little things, and that brings out their personality. So yeah, we did melon day, which ended up being I was like a stupid little thing during the second week, like during your training camp. We were training super hard, so I told all the kids to bring a, a watermelon to practice, and <laughs> I didn't tell them why. And but basically the, the thing was is that they were going to do the whole practice with their watermelon. So like they had to swim with their watermelon. We did a bunch of legs with their watermelon. They had to pass with their watermelon in their hand. The whole practice had to do something with the watermelon. And at the end of practice, we ate the watermelon. Bobby Lee came in with the biggest watermelon you could ever imagine. And so you know it just ended up being one of those things. And we wanted to keep it going. Where where it would be kind of one of those things like I, I don't want to say it wasn't hazing but like kind of like tell the freshmen they have to bring the biggest watermelon yeah and yeah, then yeah. all the older players would come in with like a cantaloupe or something like yeah. that you know <laughs> yeah and uh, we went we just wanted some fun and I you know and I found out that they went to the top of the gym and dumped their watermelons <laughs> you know and <laughs> so it ended up being we used to just do funny little things like yeah. that and that carries you through. To those tough times in a four overtime yeah, game. I don't know if it is or does or not. We go bowling. Yeah. We always go bowling at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we just, you know, just, and I think anything you could do to kind of break it up sometimes. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, I, and I think that speaks to back to what you were saying earlier in regards to just like getting a break. Maybe not a month break, but just, yeah, yeah. just a daily break, just yeah. a mental break that allows you to sort of refocus and realize why you're actually here because you're ha you want to be there. You're having fun. Yeah. Um, and so coming from a really strong swimming background, is there any skill or is there one or two skills that you are just every single year? This is what we have to be really good at this drill or this individual skill. Is there anything like that for you? Well, every year drives me nuts. You always remember your team at the end of the year, and then you start, and it's always amazing. Like, oh, you guys can't pass. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, I well, definitely just balance in the water. To me, the yeah, pet peeve is when you're on your back passing. I, you know, it drives me nuts. Or on your side passing, that just drives me up the wall. Yeah. You, you have to be balanced. You know, definitely you need to swim. I, that's number one. Moving over your hips is number two. You got to be able to move. You know, breaststroke kick or mm -hmm. scissor kick to be able to change direction. Especially now, you're running so many zones that you're running. You got to be able to step over or stair step. You gotta yeah. be able to do that, but I, yeah, passing just balance. And yeah. I remember, you know, hearing Ted Newland at a, um, a clinic back in the old days, and he said, you know, you could tell a good player just by watching them pass. And when I used to do the junior team, that used to be one of the things I used to look for, like watching the kids. You know, we had to do these giant tryouts, and I would just look at the kids passing and see which kids had good balance, which kids were on their side. It wasn't the 
it wasn't it, like if I saw a kid, he was on his back. I didn't cut him like immediately when I yeah. put it. We write little evaluations. I put little things on there, you know, just on their balance. Was it a you know good balance? And you know, were they not balanced? And where did you come up with that? And and, and that's it just over years, or was it something you walked into and said, these kids have to do this? Like where did I, that come from? That was just from years and years and years. It's just from watching players play. You know, like or I've had the opportunity to go with the junior team and watching, you know, the Hungarians. That 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 team, that Hungarian team that won like four Olympic golds. I saw them as junior team guys. You know, I saw those guys for as long as I was been involved. You know, it's kind of weird because I saw that team my very first year of coaching when I was assistant coach with Larry Rogers. We saw that crew and Sopro in Hungary and. And in 2008, I saw him win the gold medal in Beijing. Yeah, you know, and you just watch those guys, and you know, and I wouldn't, you know, everywhere I went, I took notes. I mean, that that's me. I'm old, and, and I take notes. And everywhere I went, I used to just take notes on players. And I, yeah. I got, like I said, I keep them all. I don't know where all the stuff is. I wish I'll find it probably yeah. when I retire and I start cleaning out my drawers. Yeah, but I wish I could find some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like, we, yeah, if we were in, if I was in Europe, we'd have practice and then what else, you know, nothing really else to do other than sit around and watch the Hungarians pass or the Croatians pass yeah, and, or shoot and, you know, what kind of drills they did and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that, that actually is a really good segue into 2008. Um, I read an article recently, pulled it up just, you know, preparing for this sit down. And um, you had the opportunity to work with the Olympic team during that um, leading up to Beijing. And I think it was like video and scouting and all that kind of work. And what was what was that experience like? Oh, I it was unbelievable. I cannot I think about the Olympics almost daily. I've never been through anything that that amazing. Uh, it was just every, I mean, just walking around and seeing those athletes everywhere. Like it was just, but I mean, for the water polo that year, we, we had graduation and I hopped on a plane and flew to, to Italy and we watched the FINA, uh, the, the super final. So I videoed at there and then we went to Hungary and we trained and I flew home. I think I was home for two weeks and I went to the European championships and I always wanted to go to the European championships. Yeah. So I went, flew to Spain for two weeks and, and videotaped all the games for, for the European championships, came home for a couple of weeks and then went to Beijing. And then, uh, yeah, just, it was, it was also that feeling. I mean, I, I worked probably as hard as I've ever worked on anything. Yeah. You know, back, you know, in the Olympics, it was, I had a schedule. I was on my, you know, video of the games and then come home and get a bite to eat and then start, you know, writing scouting reports. So I had to give Terry and, and Robert and, and Ryan a scouting report before, you know, like a game ahead. So, like, we started off with China. I think I had to have the China and the Italy, you know, scouting report done, my scouting report. They had their own, too. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to have mine done, like, before the China game. But I had all summer to kind of work on those first ones. But it was just, it was, like, video, come back, you know, eat, and then just start working, you know, yeah. watching video. So, I, you know, I felt like, you know, I was up till 2 o'clock every night, you know, working. I worked hard. And, um, so that was it, but just, and then 
literally the feeling when we won that semifinal game. I mean, I wasn't the coaching. I mean, I'm helping. I'm just a helper. Yeah. Well, but what the that's players, you being humble, of course. But, but what but. those players had me feel. I mean, I've, it was just amazing. I mean, that was just you know. I, I wish we could have pulled off the gold, you know. Uh, but that that feeling of winning the. I mean. Going for the gold medal. I mean, that's the that's ultimate. Crazy. That's the pinnacle. Yeah. And just, but I mean, just literally walking around and seeing those athletes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for all sports, they had a track. They had a little park, and they had like a little tartan track. And you, you know, you you might just go for a little jog or something. You know, someone may go blow by you, and it's some you know might be the world record holder in the mile or something. You know, it was everywhere you saw. Go, you know, you know, have dinner and the, you know, the first day we had dinner. You know, so the Romanian gymnastic team is right next to us in the table, and the you know Dirk Nowitzki's on the next table. It was kind of like you know being a coach is kind of like. You know, I called it athletic Disneyland. Yeah. It was the happiest place on the earth. Yeah. And yeah, that, that must have been one of the, I mean, obviously highlights of your teaching, coaching life. Oh, I mean, definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm so thankful for Terry to give me the opportunity. That was, it was amazing. And then, and I thought as a staff, I thought it, it was just kind of clockwork. It took us like the whole kind of year to kind of figure it out, the, how we were going to do all this. Yeah. You know, and but it just seemed, it, it just I don't know. It just seemed like we everybody kind of had their job, and it kind of you know flowed really well. The players doesn't seem were, like there was much of an ego regarding that coaching staff. I mean, it seemed like everybody. I mean, just from what you're telling me right now, it seemed like everybody just did their job, and that's where that success came from. I mean, is that well, like Terry's awesome, you know, and he has that kind of demeanor. And and being an Olympian himself, so many times, you know, that just was amazing, yeah. you know. And so, and I think he knew exactly, you know, what the what the guys wanted. He kind of gave them some space, mm -hmm. you know, which I thought was great. You know, I mean, the the schedule work we could go the the, the opening ceremonies and all that kind of stuff because that's always a tough call, you know, especially. But we did we didn't have to play the next day, so that kind of. You know, it kind of allowed the guys to kind of, uh, you know, get that opportunity. Yeah. And and then all the players, were, I think, were at the right time. You know, for me too, a lot of those players, I, you know, coached with them with the junior team. So it was kind of a, a kind of a group of guys that I kind of grew up with. Yeah. You know, like actually, you know, like Ryan, you know, Ryan, I always Ryan Bailey, I. I was coaching Beach Swim Club when he was a 12-year-old. Wow. And he always jokes about it because Brum, I would never claim that because, you know, Ryan was not always the world's fastest <laughs> swimmer. <laughs> but he was in my group. Yeah. <laughs> so it uh, it was cool to see those guys perform, you know. Like, I mean, that, as an amazing Olympics yeah. in aquatics in general. Y yes. I mean, um, amazing. And so I think a lot of coaches, and I'm – literally thinking of this right now. So I think a lot of coaches videotape games. Yeah. A lot of coaches watch games. What are you looking for when you're watching these games? You're watching the best in the world, these best teams in the world. What are you looking for? You know, what could you tell that coach, that young coach or that coach just starting out? Like you're videotaping every game and you're just watching these games over and over again. Here's what you should be looking for. Oh, I, that, you know, it was kind of, I'm, 
you know, I always say I'm gonna kick myself as a hero. I was it was the tech guy for the Olympics, and I am not a tech guy. <laughs> you, all you want is a pencil and a piece of paper. Exactly. Give me a pad of paper, and that's what I did. So I kind of gave the I gave the tapes and the videos to Ryan Brown, and then I went. And he looked at them, and then I went, there was, uh, right down the hall, there was, uh, the USOC had tapes, so I got those tapes, and I took out a pad of paper, and I write down every possession of the game. So I would sit down there, and I was just trying to see, was what were their tendencies, what are they doing, are they running, do they... They run a 21. Do they run a 45? Do they one across, two down? What what are they doing? What do, what are they doing? And then I even try to track shots. Like okay, well that guy shot, you know, from the two spot. He shot cross cage high, and I and I just kind of did that. And that's why I said that's why it took a lot of time. And uh, you know, I kind of like even when the guys had practice because we had. You know, we had a game, then we had a game off. So even that day, I would go in, I would, I might swim a little bit, and then I'd just hop out and take out my computer and watch the games on the computer and take notes. Uh, we we had a system, though, you know, where you could pull up all the offenses and all yeah. the defenses. Uh, so, if you know, and then you kind of see that. If you kind of line up all the offenses and you line up all the defenses, you could definitely see tendencies. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of looking for now. But right now, if, if you know, I put my right here, and I'll sit down, uh, like, during the playoffs. Uh, we run practice in the evenings. You know, I move practice to the evening mm -hmm. so I can have some time. Yeah. And I'll sit down, and I'll just take out a piece of paper and just write every possession of the game and see see if I could, you know, see if I could have some tendency. So it just takes time. Yeah. When I was a young coach, it was mon Monday nights. And my family was so supportive. Like, they knew Monday night I was watching video. I might start at nine. Yeah. You know, kids would go to bed. I'd yeah. start at nine and maybe watch an hour to two hours. And uh, did you do that? Do you watch video in the off season or do you just do it during the season? You know what? I've done both. I, I'll watch games in the off season uh, just for pleasure. Yeah. You know, just, uh, you know, I, right over there, I got some games for the Olympics. I might just pop in. U.S. versus Serbia and watch that game again just yeah. to, just for fun, just to kind of watch what those guys. It's amazing to watch those guys play. Yeah, absolutely. I'll pull out the old CIF games, yeah. you know, and some of them make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just to kind of watch them. I haven't been lucky enough to win as many championships as, as you, but, you know, the one for the boys and the girls, even watching it now. Yeah. You can't help but have it bring back the memories of how hard it was to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when you when you lose, a lot of times you don't know if you can keep going. You never know if you're going to be back. Yeah, I won my the first time we won. That was a big deal. It took me, I think, if I started in '87, we won in '95, and I would go to the CIF championship every year. You know, I would get out of school. You know, we were not playing. Yeah. I would go watch those games every single time, just wanting to be there. You know, what can I learn? What what would I do if I got there then, you know? And then after that one, I never knew if we were going to win again. You never know what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I say that almost like we went to the, the championship this year, just going to that. Part of it is like going there, okay, relax. You, you may look around. You may not be there ever again. Yeah. So you want to enjoy this. This is, you know, this is something that you – you know, getting to the final four, you know, playing at Woolen in that semifinal is a big deal. Yeah. 
and uh, it, uh, yeah, and then it, but then you get kind of spoiled, you know. Yeah. And you, you know, I hate to say that, you know, like oh, well, it was a couple of years ago we we lost to Harvard in the quarters, like oh, it's just a quarter, you know, you know, and that's hard, you know. Yeah. But you sit there going, wow, it's, we're still one of the top ten, teams. Uh, you know. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's at this point it's CIF championship yeah. or bust. And I think that's true for you could probably name off, you know, five or six schools that really feel the same way at this point. Like it's CIF finals or bust division one or two. Um, And that's a really, really difficult thing to maintain. I'm a worry ward, actually. I mean, I may not show it, but I type one of these guys that worries all the time. And I think um, my assistant coach on the girls, Tom McLean, when I first started coaching the girls, he said, Jim, just you – you got to work on just worrying about the stuff that you can control, which is just your team. So like when there's all this shifting going around you, you, you know, I may worry about like, Oh, wow, this program over here, they're going to really get good now. They yeah. got this great coach now. And you're like, well, they're going to get good. It's not going to matter what I do. All I can only worry about these guys right here. Yeah. You know? So is there anything that you would change in water polo right now? whether it be culture, club, a rule? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I definitely have my bugaboo rules. I don't like foul and drop. To me, that's a foul that's taken away advantage. If you got a center facing one, two side, and you get the ball over to two, and they just come over a foul drop. I mean, if the guy's pressing and he's trying not to foul and he fouls, okay. But if he just comes over and just, you know, fouls and he's immediately a drop, I think that in my opinion, and then, you know, it's an interpretation. I don't know how you can write it in, but I think that should be looked upon as an exclusion. That's yeah. definitely a foul to take advantage away. There's nothing that can be changed. Like I said, I've at, you know, can we have a little bit of time right here? But yeah. that's I, you can't put a rule in or anything yeah. for that. So again, I think that's one of those things I shouldn't worry about because I can't control it. Yeah. You think like the state of water polo is in a good place right now? Because I mean, you were at the top in two, 2008. So you've been to the very, very, very top of the mountain. I mean, CIF is one mountain, but, you know, being at the Olympic Games, winning a silver medal and being part of that, that's obviously the ultimate. It's becoming a big man's game, which there's I don't know if there's anything you do to stop it. I mean, it's really becoming a big man's game. So for some reason, if there'd be something to allow the, you know, the six foot driver to kind of get back into the game, I'd like to see that. Yeah. I mean, you see it in the college, you know, there, you still, there's, but it's still getting a ways. I mean, well, I mean, I know who you're talking about. I mean, when the first person that comes to mind is Paul Reynolds. Yeah. I, I mean, he's one of the most prolific scores the sport has maybe ever seen just for his knack of putting the ball in the goal at every level. Do you agree with that? Oh, he's amazing, and and he did had a, a sensational career at UCLA he, too. I mean, he so every level that I've seen him play, yeah, he was. I mean, he could just put the ball in the cage, yeah, and he was crafty, and and he size was never size never seemed to be an issue for him. It was never something that stood out to me. And there's a lot of players like that. You still see it in the college game. You'll still go out there and watch some of these guys like Hooper at yeah. Cal. I mean, he's still one incredible player he is, and he's not necessarily that big. You still see it, you know, but then, uh, you know, I'll talk to college coaches a little bit, and they'll, well, how big is your kid? Well, I, you know, for some reason, we don't have a lot of big kids. I, you know, I mean, it. we just – 
haven't had that six five guy come through here. Yeah. We get a lot of we get a lot of we definitely get high skilled athletes here, and you know, but a lot of them are six one. Yeah. You know, they're six foot. I, I you know I just wish I would. I, I don't. I, and like I said, I don't have the answer to that. I'd like yeah, to no. see somehow where we could do something to make that come back in the game because the game does, especially when you start watching. So I haven't seen a lot of national team games recently, but you know, but the ones I do, they just seem like they're just really, really physical. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they're huge guys yeah. at this point, and I think there's so many different things that people bring to teams that it's not necessarily just about how many goals they're going to score or how many assists. Like mm-hmm. there is something about team culture and just being yeah. part of a team that is also very important. And I think. Some coaches might be missing out on that piece of of it for their teams. I can't say anyone specifically, but yeah, I, I would, either. Um, I would but, just I mean, imagine. I just look at like like Tony. You know, I mean, he wasn't the biggest guy yeah, in the world. No. I, I think those guys, as long as they're incredible shooters, then you need those guys. Yeah. You know, if whatever you're the national team, you need the best shooters out there. You're gonna see so much zone. You know, in my opinion, I think you got you have to find these great, incredible shooters. Yeah. And you start thinking about Ornsby, like I was the junior team. We had Ornsby. He was a great shooter, and you know. So, uh, for the sake of time, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Um, one of them being, who have been your um, some of your mentors as a coach or a teacher, whether in the past or even currently? Um, is there anybody that you look to that you kind of? trying to emulate as a coach before you got your own style? Well, I, I, John Urbanchek and Ken Lindgren, uh, those two guys, hands down. Um, I, those, I, you know, I came into Long Beach at that time. John is the most amazing person in the world. And, uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest moments at the, at the Olympics was he was there and I came in, you know, I went to one night to watch him swimming and he must've jumped over two rows of, of the bleachers to give me a hug, you know, and that, that meant a lot to me. I mean, John was at my, you know, Becky and Myers wedding. That that was, he's definitely a guy and just, uh, he's retired twice, I think now. And he's still, I don't know how old he is and he's still coaching up there. He's so amazing. And, And Ken Linger was the same way. And, you know, he passed away and I kind of, one of those things I kind of felt I never really got the chance to say it to him, you know, he was always great around my kids. Like he would tease my kids anytime we'd see him at, at uh, water polo and stuff and, and, or Becky, you know, he, he was just an amazing guy. Those were my two big mentors. Uh, I had to say my high school coach was, uh, swim coach guy named John Jepson. I actually reached out to him last year when we won CIF in swimming and I called him up and I haven't talked to him much because the same thing, he's getting a little older in age and I, I didn't want him to, you know, pass without, you know, saying thank you. You yeah. know, uh, the two guys, Tom DeLong and Dave Simcox, you know, I walked into a, an already made position. So those guys, those are the big ones. And, but I, Johnny Wooden, when yeah. I was a kid, I sent a letter to Johnny Wood, and I got he sent me back this pyramid success when wow. I was like ten, and that's so cool. Uh, you know, and I I don't maybe I understand the way I understand it. I don't know if it's the same way he did or whatever, but I kind of pass it on to our players. So yeah. I I talk a lot about that to the players. You know, the the success that you know it's a peace of mind knowing that you did the very best you possibly you know could do something similar to that. You mm-hmm. know, so we don't necessarily always talk about winning the title we 
talk about what just success is. I try to pass that on. And I think that helps sometimes, you know, if you, if you train the very best you possibly can and you, you got fifth, that's best you could do. You yeah. know, sometimes it's not you in know? the cards. If you don't know who Pete Catino is or Vargas or, you know, if you don't know who those people are and you're listening to this, you need to look them up yeah. immediately well, because they change the way our game is played. Um, that leads me to my last question, which is if you could give Jim Brum some advice at 25, um, what what would that be? One thing I think that I did do when I was young that if I would suggest for young coaches, and I think this is good because like you said, we talked earlier, you know, there's really no coaching clinics anymore. And, uh, you know, I used to go to every single coaching clinics and, some, you know, a lot of them were just for fun, you know, just to you hear Don Stahl talk and Bill Barnett talk, Ted Newland talk, you know, uh, you know, Kenny would always talk, you know, Katina would always, all these guys would all come and talk on a weekend. You'd spend the whole day and, but you're always, you look around the room and it was all the coaches, you know, you would go to lunch with the coaches. You might go to dinner with the coaches. You might not go to all the meetings. And I used to do that. I used to go to every clinic. And then I asked my baseball coach, I said, you know what? I want to learn about throwing, like who out there, you've gone all these baseball clinics, who's the top guy? And I remember one, he goes, well, go see Dr. Tom House. And I went and saw him and he's real quirky. And I use, I use the stuff I heard in that talk when I talk about shooting all the time. My, and my kids like, kind of laugh at it. When I first got into water polo, that's what I said. If I'm going to be good at this, I, there's a lot I have to learn. And uh, that's that's so that'd be my advice to anybody. Uh, Coach Brum, I, you know, obviously I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and everything that you've done. And I mean, all the great athletes that have come through your pro your program and you're always so humble. I know it's really difficult, I think, for your personality to, you know, say I'm all that and all all this. But you really have done a lot for the sport of water polo. And I really appreciate you being on the program. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah.